0: Means they excursion some places to go have a great time of fellowship in great events. Church at this time, our young people make their way out to junior church. Um, good to see you all this morning. Uh, we had a bunch of kids already back practicing for next week for Father's Day, so I encourage you to be here. As uh, Pastor Danny mentioned, we are having uh, uh, some child dedication. Uh, at least we have one signed up right now. I think that's, uh, Drew, you still, you're still good? Okay. Um, But I'd encourage you. If you've not done that, uh, it's worthwhile to do. It's just a public testimony that you desire to... Uh, bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And you desire the local church to help you. So um, if you are interested in doing that, see myself or Pastor Danny and uh, we'd be happy to in- include you. It's going to be a special time. All right. Uh, in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 13 uh, To this morning, I want to move along in a little mini series. I was actually going to only do two weeks, but it looks like I'm going to do three because uh, just uh, you know, as I was writing this week, things just went along. I said, ah, I'm just going to cut it off. I could have preached for an hour and a half um, you know, then I get it on both of them. But yeah, see, I didn't get a lot of amens for that. I you know uh, pretty, and y'all are pretty quiet this morning. Some of you need to get a, you know, you get, I'm going to say this y'all are going to say, is he talking about me? Maybe. I don't know. But uh, if you're happy in the Lord this morning, tell your face about it, okay? Um, some of you just, man, smile a little bit, okay? You know, I don't get up this early. Well, you should. Um, but uh, it's good to be here today, and I've enjoyed the singing this morning. It's been great, and uh, thank the Lord for it. And uh, all the all the children running around in it, it's just fantastic seeing the kids running around. Uh, so we got a uh, a little kids choir is going to sing next Sunday for Father's Day, and they started practicing for church, so uh, Erica marched them all out of here. And she got them all in line, and it just, I don't know, what did you say, Carol Jean or Nick, when you said it looked like something, a little, you, they're all hopping out of here. It's pretty, It's pretty cool. I was like, man. Pied Piper here. Your kid, here, kids come here and they just disappear. You know, march them right out of here. We'd probably have more people here if that happened. Probably would happen. Please, somebody take them. Anyway, all right. Uh, we're going to get back into our series uh, that I entitled "How to Please God." We began this last week. Our text verse is uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. And last week I laid the foundation of the context of the book of Hebrews and uh, verse 15 says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now last week we saw that uh, the, the key to pleasing God is sacrifice and though most of the time we think of sacrifice as an Old Testament thing, Clearly, God lays out in the New Testament era of grace uh, there are sacrifices that we can offer. No, we don't go get a lamb and you know don't know it. But there's spiritual sacrifices, and God lays out at the end of this letter to the book of the folks there, uh, there around Jerusalem, the Jewish believers, tells them how they can do this. Um, and last week we began the first couple, of point one and two, and we looked at how, how do we please God, and we found sacrifices that please God. Well, what sacrifices? Number one, last week, the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, our text says, verse 15, by him therefore. Last week we looked at the fact that <clears throat> there is only... One way to please God from a judicial standpoint. In other words, you and I are sinners, and we are under the righteous wrath of a holy God. And I said, "Why is he? You know, why does God get? Is he angry, or why is his wrath stirred? Because God is holy, and when God's holiness is confronted with sin, there's a righteous indignation. And guess what? <laughs> you and I were all sinners, and so uh, we stand under that judgment of God. Well, I'm so thankful that. The writer here of Hebrews in verses, uh, I think we looked at verses 8 to 13, lays out how that Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament sacrifices, and he's a better sacrifice, but like the Old Testament sacrifices, the part that was rejected was taken outside of the city and burned. And so the writer compares that to when Jesus was rejected and taken out of the city and crucified, and yet by his blood we are declared righteous You see, we've all rebelled against God. We've all missed the mark, as the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, I'm thankful for the finished work of Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So that Romans goes on to say in Romans chapter 5, and verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, and having made peace through how the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. we are reminded that not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy he saved us. As John would write, "He that believeth on the Son, John 3:36, hath everlasting life, present possession, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him." You see this morning you're either standing in your own righteousness before God and you are under the righteous judgment of a holy God or you are standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ which you and I can never earn of ourselves but are given as a free gift through faith in Christ. As the Bible says it in Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. Physical death leading to eternal spiritual, eternal separation from God but the gift of God is eternal life. Yeah. What a wonderful gift, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about this this week. This isn't even my notes. This is extra. And by the way, I was informed that the clock in the back is, it's 10 minutes fast. Is that what you told me, Allie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear that no back there from the media room? It's four minutes slow. So, um, <clears> oh, <throat> well, we got time. Uh, you, know, you know, but I was thinking this week, you know, is, is we had a... We had a little birthday party for a friend and I was reminded how fast life is going and last week I lost a friend of mine unexpectedly. He was relatively healthy 56 years old and this morning you know he's with the Lord and um, but I was reminded and I was thinking about this you know that going old was never really part of God's you know now growing old in numbers okay but You know, this receding hairline that I have and the legs that don't work and the hands that don't work and the pain, that wasn't in the original plan. And you and I, as the classic saying goes, we're born to die. From the moment of conception on, we gain some cells and then we come out and we gain a little more and then pretty soon we start (laughs) going the other direction. And yet, there is a fix. There is an upgrade. You know, there's a mankind 2.0 powered by Jesus Christ <laughs> oh, That one, that's pretty good I do say to myself you know um, where you don't have to live eternally separated from God but you can have eternal life and one day if the Lord Jesus promised us correctly one day you and I have a physical resurrection and this body will be made much better <laughs> you know I, I suppose all my hair is going to come back and uh, you know I, I have not lost my uh, you know Handsome, good looks—that'll still stay. So, there's some things you keep. Yeah, do you hear the groaning in the crowd at that? <laughs> hear the groaning. Such a judgmental group. Must be a Baptist church. Um, but the Bible says it's appointed on a man once to die, but after this the judgment. Make peace with God. Um, and yet, this morning our series, as just as the letter of Hebrews, is primarily directed to believers. If you're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, and you're walking this road of life. Are we pleasing him? We we certainly ought to have that desire. And uh, we looked last week at the second sacrifice that's available, not only the one through Jesus Christ, but in our text, uh, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And we saw last week that we should, with intentionality, offer the sacrifice of praise. And and we looked like, how is it defined by the giving thanks unto his name? And we saw last week that Greek word is hamalageo, which literally means to agree with God, to say the same thing about his name that he says as he reveals himself. And we looked at several examples, and one of my favorites is Jehovah Jireh, uh, where God will provide. And I don't know where you're at today, but God will provide. Amen? Amen. He does. Now, today we're going to pick up the next sacrifice we can make, but I want to have a quick word of prayer, then we're going to jump into our text and move along and see what the Scriptures have to say. Holy Spirit of God, it's been good to be here today. Thank you for the singing and the truth that we've sung this morning. Um, We're so thankful um, that you have given freely and that through your finished work and your resurrection, we have a hope God, we live in a world today that there's not a lot of hope, there's a lot of despair, there's a lot of fear. Um, and Lord, I'm thankful to know the one that holds eternity and uh, he lives outside of eternity and uh, you are God and that uh, our hope is found in you. So bless this time as we study around your word. Help us to live the life, the path you call call us to walk, whatever it is today, whatever thing, responsibilities you've given to each and every one of us. Uh, may we offer sacrifices as we go through this life, spiritual ones that are pleasing in your sight. Let us be a people of praise. And uh, Lord, we're thankful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So by him, therefore, Jesus being a sacrifice, offer sacrifice of praise. There's our second one, to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then the author goes on, verse 16, and says this, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. So he lists two more sacrifices there that as Christians, we ought not to forget. Now, by definition, when you're told don't forget something, <laughs> I think that kind of means we tend to do what? Forget it, all right? Now, I know once again, as we get older, I tend to forget more things than I remember. And uh, it gets uh, uh, Matt that was talking to me about that the other night, and uh, he's, he actually, Matt's words were, and since he's on security and can't, well, I guess he could hurt me now, he's on security, but he, he, he told me, he said, you know, as I get older, Pastor, I think I'm just getting dumber. <laughs> <laughs> and Michelle said, "I agree. Uh, I think you are You're getting dumber." Um, Matt and I—I won't even go there. Uh, a, we'll, we'll move 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 right along. But the the Bible tells us there's two things we ought not forget. Two sacrifices we can make, and the first one, or point number three, another sacrifice is the sacrifice of doing good. The sacrifice of doing good. And the scripture simply says, and this morning, I'm only going to focus on these first, what, four words, but to do good. Basically, the Bible's really simple, which is a good thing because we're simple people. Just do good. Simple, right? (laughs) I I, I put it down in another way. Um, I said, I thought to myself, I wrote in my notes, I said to, you know, Christians in particular, just be nice. This is good. (laughs) Oh, a little bit of Toy Story. Come on. Where else are you going to go to get Toy Story truth here? Play nice, Sid. See, apparently nobody has watched Toy Story in here. Yeah, Yeah, some of you are going, I I might need to. And you know, um, if you haven't watched the movie, there's a bad kid and he plays mean with his toys. He's breaking them all the time and doing mean things to them. His name is Sid. And the toys have to finally remind him, just be nice. And as a pastor, and sometimes I think the Lord must get there on the edge of heaven and look down at his children And we pretend to behave like Sid. And we break every relationship we have. We abuse other people in ways they were not designed to be used. And God simply says to his children, just play nice. Wouldn't the world be a different place if people were just nice? Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again number 1 cuz pastors we you know we like to we like to eat out and I'm pretty good at that and I have made and Jen and I've made a intentionality to make when we go out at a place that I like it's a ministry we we reach to people and it's just what we do so over the years we've made a lot of friends with a lot of folks that work in the serving industry and in the restaurant business and do you know what I've heard over and over and over again. Do you know what is the day that none of the workers want to work? Sunday. Because all the Christians get out of church and are the meanest, cheapest people they serve all week. I'm just telling you the truth. We come and we sing all worthy is the lamb and all these songs and then 10 minutes down the road because our bacon isn't there, we come unhinged. We've all done it. So, you know, we've all had bad days or bad weeks and something becomes a lightning rod. But I can tell you this, if that's the pattern of your behavior, you're a lousy representative of Christ. Hmm. Pastor's mean this morning. No, I'm just telling you the truth. Be nice. Do good. Simple, right? P- sermon's over. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, no, no. One of my favorite stories. Um, I've told this one before, but I like it. It's one of my favorite ones. Story of a couple people are heading into the store. You know, you ever been driving into the, you know, Coles or somewhere like that, you know, and you're coming in and you spot this parking spot up near the front. And you see that parking spot and you want that parking spot. And you make your way in and as you come around from one way there's a car coming from another direction about equal distance away and in this story there's the other car happens to be a Corvette with a young dashing young man in there with his lovely locks of hair you know with his convertible top down and He notices the other car, which happens to be a little old lady driving a big old Cadillac. And they notice the spot at the same time. You ever do the eye contact thing, you know? And sure enough, that that guy in that Corvette, he, he hammers down on that, on the gas pedal, mashes it, and he zings right in there in front of her as she's trying to pull in. He zings it in front of her, and she's left sitting there kind of just outside the parking spot. And he gets out of the car, and as he walks by, he looks over, and he goes, well, that's what you get when you're young and quick. The little old lady, she sits there for a minute. This little old lady. And she says, <laughs> You know what? I'm going to mash the gas. And she smashes into that Corvette with her big Cadillac and pushes that little Corvette out of the way. And that young guy is losing his mind. My car, my car, my car. And she gets out of the car, radiator steaming and all that. Closes the door, walks by him, and says, "Well, that's what you get when you're old and rich." <laughs> you know you've wanted to do it. <laughs> by the way, I found this wonderful picture, um, <clears throat> and turns out this tr- this true story on this picture because you know I sometimes I'll research. I noticed underneath it was a, from a news article. This little lady here is from Belgium. And she was pulled over doing 148 miles an hour. <laughs> so, so I love this lady. She must be one of my relatives somewhere along the line from my <laughs> descent, but isn't that great? But, but you go to the store and it doesn't take a lot of things to get us acting in ways that are not very Christian. We oftentimes forget to do good works and just to be nice and do good. Now I understand and remind us that none of us is saved, none of us is going to heaven because of our good works. Aren't you thankful for that? Because the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. You know, you and I are not good in our in our in our nature. We're selfish. There's nothing you and I can do to earn our way to heaven. God says in Isaiah 64 that all of our righteousness is a filthy rags. I mean, you know, as good as man can do, and compared to the holiness of God, it's pretty stinky, all right? But when we come into the family of God, we should live differently. We should do good works. Now, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, you know, one of the ones I probably use if I throughout this, the year. Uh, I hope if you were to scan my sermons throughout the year and say, what verse does pastor talk about the most? I hope that the number one verse you hear out of this pulpit over and over again, and please don't ever get tired of it. If you ever get tired of it, you really need to reevaluate your spiritual standing, honestly. But I never get tired of John 3.16. I just don't. But probably after John 3.16, the second verse you might hear the most from this pulpit is probably Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Oh, I love them too. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And by the way, anybody that tells you that the gift is the gift of faith, which my Calvinist friends want to tell you, is dishonest with the Greek text and what it means. I don't understand. These people teach that in order for you to be saved, God's got to first give you a gift of regeneration to give you the ability to believe, and then eventually you'll be irresistibly drawn to God, and you will believe, and you'll get saved. No, no, that's not what this verse is teaching. The verse is saying what, exactly what it says For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, salvation, is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I love those two verses, but verse 10 is pretty good too, isn't it? The very next verse says this For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should. There it is again, not have to, should walk in them. God said in eternity past, here's how I'm going to redeem mankind who's going to choose to rebel against me. Anybody who comes to my Savior, my Messiah in faith is going to be placed in Christ. And my desire is when they've been placed in Christ that they live differently than the regular men and women do. That they show good works. What is it that Jesus said? Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How about Titus 3, 14? And let us also learn to maintain good works. How about 2 Timothy 3, 17? And you know the verse before that very, very well. But the Scripture being inspired and in in its uses, what's the purpose? That the man of God, verse 17, may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto what? All good works. you know how a man is spiritually mature, you can tell, because he does good things. They, they, he doesn't cause division in the church, he doesn't abuse his wife, he doesn't fly off the handle, he doesn't spread profanities. he does good things unfortunately, and I've been a personal test, I grew up in the church, you don't know that, I'm a deacon's kid, which is why I have so many problems. My dad was the chairman of the deacons. <laughs> I always thought it was the pastor's kids. My whole life I thought it was the preacher's kids, and I grew up to find out the whole time it was actually the deacon's kids. It really was. Um, but, but these people in church, many times deacons quote-unquote themselves, that supposedly meet the qualifications that the pastors have to meet when they get interviewed, you know, and but the deacons, in, in, in a deacons meeting or in a church business meeting, conduct themselves despicably. Yep, thank you, dear. One honest person that grew up in the church. I got all kinds of preacher's kids here. Where are they all quiet? Come on, all the preacher's kids in here this morning said, okay. <laughs> Bendelene, your parents didn't do that. You know, um, Kaylee, where's Kaylee? Kaylee, where's all my preacher's kids? Like, There's a bunch of them in here. Um, Joe Jones, you're telling me that the teacons are always nice to your dad? He didn't even want to say anything back there. You know, come on, Mike, give me an amen. Help, help a brother out up here. <laughs> Do good. I, I, I could go on, 1 Peter 2, 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God. And I could go on and on. There's a lot of scripture verses that tell believers that we ought to be involved in good works. Now, I'm going to put that in the context in the New Testament of the new commandment, the one commandment that Jesus gave. The primary commandment to believers in the New Testament from our Lord is what? Very good. Love one another. No, that love God and love, that, that, that's the, from the rabbinic perspective. They're both the same thing, ultimately. But remember what Jesus said in John chapter uh, uh, 13, verse 34 and 35 A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love for one another. You know what I found the hardest people to do good things to? Your family. Sometimes the toughest people to be nice to is your own family. Ryan and I were laughing this morning, you know, I've one, I have a brother and a sister um, and um, sometimes the rides to church were eventful. Um, you know, I, I Allison and Caleb. this is a true story my daughter's in there in the back, true story uh, when I was first pastoring when I was, how old was it, about 36 when I started pastoring I was in the business world for about 15 years or so and then got into pastoring and and uh, Sometimes our two children on Sunday morning, you know, Satan sends out extra emissaries of on Sunday morning. You, you think it's just your house? No. Satan's showing up and everybody who's got small children that, you know, or a teenager. <laughs> um, um, they show, the, the Satan shows up there, the demons show up there. And he got to the point where when I was pastoring earlier years, Jenny and I drove two cars so she would bring the kids later because I, by t- I, I was in no condition to pastor anybody by the time those two got me all riled up by the time from a five-minute drive from our house to the church. Am I telling truth here, Jennifer? Am I telling truth? Allison, that's the truth, Allison. Drove me out of my mind. Nobody can do it like your own children can. Come on. And I, just, I love my kids. Well, I do too, but they still drove me out of my mind at times. Then I found out one day, grow up and give me grandkids and keep your kids alive just for the grandkids, all right? And all the grandparents, all right? <laughs> but it's hard Signs to be nice, uh, and it starts very young. This week, many of you know Jenny and I went to help our other daughter, Taza and her husband, Scott. They're moving from Knoxville, Tennessee down to Miraville, Tennessee. They bought a house. And we they have twin grandsons. And here's a wonderful picture of us from this week. Um, yeah, aren't, aren't they cute little guys? And it's Jensen and Micah. And it's hilarious. If one of them gets a toy, the other one didn't want it until the other one had it. So, of course, being PJ, the PJ that I am, I, I always come with the grandkids, you know, I'm going to spoil them. I'm making them as rotten as I can, you know. <laughs> it's wonderful payback, right, parents? So I, I come with presents, and we bought them each a separate little, a little toy, and it was hilarious to watch. They so each get their own, and for about 30 seconds, they were focused on their toy, but then they had to look and see what the other one had. And then when they saw the other one they had, they each went to the other one and it was like like a symphony. They each dropped the one they had, went to the other one, while the other one dropped the other one they had, and so they switched. <laughs> then they're looking at each other like, hey, this didn't work the way I thought it would. Or, if you want proof of this, I think I've already heard a little bit of this this morning in the background noise, you know, don't you appreciate our nursery workers? Here's a picture from another church nursery, not our church nursery, but another church nursery. Um, Laughter you know, that, if, you don't, if you don't think we start out selfish and want our way, just go visit the nursery, and then it, you say, "Oh, yeah, they're really bad in the nursery. You know, it only gets worse as you get older. Um, you know, we, we, that that selfish is just is there, and we fight that flesh. And God tells them to do good. Now, the thing I wrestled with this week as I studied was the idea where God says, "Forget not," and eat. God says it's a sacrifice." And my question to myself, and you say you question yourself. Yes, I question myself. I think that when I'm reading scripture, I'm, I'm sitting there going, "Well, how is it a sacrifice? I mean, are we not commanded, as I've read over and over, to do good? So if we're commanded, it doesn't it make it an act of obedience or an act of obligation or a Christian duty? You think it's a Christian duty to do good works? I think I've kind of proven that to you. Um, and I I thought of one of those you know a scripture verse that probably some of you are thinking of 1st Samuel 15 to obey is better than sacrifice and I thought to myself how how if, if it's an obligation a duty it's a Christian it's obedience a thing of that then you know how does it become sacrificial now understand doing the right thing and obedience in its own way is in its own kind of merit of sacrifice but it certainly seems as the context here of the flow of this passage that, he, that he's challenging them to offer the sacrifice of doing good. And as I thought about that, I said, even in my Christian walk, it is difficult at times for me to separate where my flesh ends and my spirit to do what God wants begins. Anybody else wrestle with that? In other words, sometimes like, am I doing this because it's, I'm doing, is it unto the Lord? Or am I doing it for my own purposes? Because sometimes doing the right thing is beneficial to yourself. And I don't believe there's necessarily anything wrong with that. You know, if I'm, if I'm nice to somebody, if I'm, you know, if I'm nice to Andrew, it's less likely he's going to punch me in the nose. That's good for me, right? Or better yet, if I'm nice to Andrew, he'll take me out the longhorn and buy me a steak. That's good for me. So there's an incentive for me to be nice to him. And sometimes I wrestle, you know, and I recognize, say, well, what's the difference? Well, I, I, my, my personal view on it would be that when we do things and our primary motive is we're doing, is it under the Lord, irregardless of the circumstances that result from it? That's how you can tell. In other words, what if I do nice to Andrew and he still punches me in the nose? Or, I'm really nice to Andrew, and he says, oh, Martha and I, Sister Martha and I, we're going to, we're going to Longhorn. See ya. That would be really mean. <laughs> Are you still willing to do the right thing? Y- you see, doing it for the Lord and not unto ourselves. In other words, we're not doing it primarily to earn someone's favor. Or, uh, here's one, we're not doing it to get recognition. Boy, there's some folks, if you don't recognize everything they do, they get offended. Now, there are times there's appropriate recognition. One of the hardest things, as a matter of fact, when I went into ministry was going from the side of the pew where I, Jen, and I were giving a lot of financially and were supporting the pastors to all of a sudden receiving that. It was very difficult until I realized it really was my pride. And it, it's a biblical thing and it's a good thing for a church. And, but then but, and there are times. Appropriate for people that serve faithfully to be recognized. You say, oh, that offends me. It takes a... Well, then read the New Testament. Paul does it over and over again. Almost every letter he names names. But if your primary motive is so that I'll get recognized and when you do not, you get deeply offended, you should reevaluate why you did it in the first place. Because ultimately, and you know what I'll say is, wouldn't you rather have God recognize it than me or some human? Now, I know that the famous verse, Jesus said, do it privately because if you do it openly, you have your reward. And, and that principle comes into play here. But sometimes we just, we want the recognition. Sometimes people do good things. They go about doing good because we want to feel good about ourselves. People are, are talking to say, well, you know, it's not only really faith community that helps. Although if you look at our country, the people who make the difference in, in calamity is the faith community. It's organizations like Samaritan's Purse that show up. Not with their hand out saying, pay us. But there are a lot of people that say, well, these other groups, I say, yeah, why, why does the moral man do a good work? What I have found in my life experience on balance is they, do, they feel good about themselves. It makes them feel good. Now, nothing wrong with feeling good about doing the right thing, but when it's your primary motive, you're not offering it unto the Lord. How about people do good works to manipulate someone else? Hey, Andrew. So I'm picking on Andrew this morning. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, you know, I'm going to wash your car this week, but I sure could use a, sure a steak out there at Longhorn. By the way, that's how some people live with a relationship with God. They think God only is going to secure their salvation as long as they do good works. Some people do good works out of guilt. And I know I'm not one of those people. You, but, you know, my, my family would probably say, Ken, you should feel guilty more often. <laughs> I don't wrestle with that one, but some of you do to where you get guilted into doing what you're doing. That's not under the Lord. When God says do it, do it. And sometimes, may, maybe oftentimes, you might do a good work and you don't even feel like doing it. That's a good indicator when you don't feel like doing it and you do it anyway because you do it for God's Glory. Now, the whole idea: what is a good work? I thought to myself, "Oh, what is it? What does it mean to be good?" You might think that's a simple thing, but you, you, if you start discussing what is evil in this, the, the, you know, from a theological and a, a brainiac position, people have written volumes on what what is evil, what is sin, what is good. And I thought to myself, "Well, we're going to check this out." Um, you know, like what as I typically will do, I'll I'll go to the you know, to the, to the original language and the Greek, and I like to take a look at it and see, see what's there, and um, so uh, I went to it, and, and I got to tell you, as a guy who took a few years of Greek, I'm certainly no Greek expert, but I like the language, and um, any first-year Greek student, I don't know if I have any Greek, I know Joe, you took years of Greek, I, should I put Joe on the spot? You guys are not going to help me, should I put Joe on the spot, you know, Kelly Mike, should I put your son on the spot? You can't answer <laughs> Did you help pay for his education? <laughs> All right, Joe, I'm going to push you on the spot. Anyway, if you don't know, don't be mad at Joe. But Joe, do you know one of the Greek words for the word good? Oh, so I put it on my spot. Does anybody here know without looking at your Google, Brock? No Googling it. No? do not come up? No, don't know anywhere. Okay just me. How about Pastor Danny? You don't know. Put him. On. How about that, Joe? I'll put him on. He's got a master's degree. But he went to, he went to Liberty, so we can excuse it a little bit. You know. <laughs> we got several Liberty grads in here this morning, so I'm trying to see if I can offend you. Um, two Greek words. and Honestly, when I went there, I, I expected to find them. One is kalos, and one is agathos. Now Joe's going, oh, I know you know that word, don't you? Kalos, or agathos. matter of fact, kalas has the idea of excellence in nature or beautiful and, and agathos means pleasant, agreeable, honorable. They're, they're cinnamon, cinna, cinna, cinnamons. They're cinnamons. They taste good. A um, lot of flavor in these words. And it's, sometimes it's hard to, you know, th- th- they're used interchangeably. A matter of fact, do you know in, in your New Testament, those two words are translated the word good over 200 times. 200 in the New Testament. So when I came to this passage in my mind when I went to the Greek text, that when it says but to do good, it's going to say but to do kalos or agathos. That's fully what I expected. And like last week in verse 16 where I was surprised by a word that wasn't there and a different one that was there, I had the same experience this week here. Because neither of those words are used here. The Greek word is eupoia, and it's a compound word that means you, which means good or thankful, and poieo, the verb form, which means to make. And and if you take poieo, to make, it's translated like to make like 300 times in the New Testament. It's, It's the dominant word, to make something. You know what it is to make something? You know, put it together. Kids, maybe you're making a craft over there to make something. So when you put the U, the epsilon, upsilon, the E and the U together, it means to make something good. And when you consider that vantage point, all of a sudden the idea of why this is a sacrifice, boom, comes into view on the challenge where he says, forget not to do good. Forget not to make good. Hmm. In other words, I believe there are times when we are presented opportunities throughout your day. This week, you're going to have an opportunity to approach a situation that you can either engage or maybe you don't engage. And I'm not going to tell you if it's right or wrong unless if God, the Spirit says, go do this. Well, then, you know, it's a right, wrong thing. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. You're looking at something, say, should I get involved? Or you are involved in something that is, let's say, troublesome. But you and I can choose God, I'm going to offer a sacrifice of doing good here. Say, what do you mean? It means when you are in a situation where you're in an argument and you make the argument good. A soft answer turneth away wrath. It means when you're in a conflict and you make it good. It means when you get hurt Or you're disappointed on something and that circumstance presents itself in front of you and you have choices to make whether you want to choose to be bitter or you want to be vengeful at somebody but instead you say, God, I'm going to offer you a sacrifice of doing good and I'm going to take this bad situation that has been given to me unfairly but through your spirit and your power I want to be used of God to make it good. Ooh, that's good. If I do say so myself. You take a misunderstanding. Boy, it's easy. You hear someone, and I get it all the time as a pastor. Boy, if I had a dime for every time somebody came to me and said, I heard someone say this. And you might be right that they said this, but what you don't understand is the five or ten words they said before or the five or ten words they said after. All you know is you're ticked off and you've taken your preconceived notions or, or past experiences with an individual, and now you've made a conclusive decision on that's how that person is. Maybe you ought to make it good. And say, you know what, God, I'm going to just go out of my way. I'm going to love that person. Do I want to? No, I want to punch them. <laughs> but instead, I'm going to make it good through your power. If, if I had a text verse for this, it would be one of my favorite verses in Scripture that I try to ring around in my head quite a bit, and it's Romans 12, 21. And be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. what we need today is some good Christians. Mm. Make the sacrifice of doing good, and when we do, God is well pleased. And I personally believe when you offer these sacrifices and God is pleased, you know, the Bible is clear that we as Christians, we get to heaven, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and it's these kind of sacrifices where you, you, you submitted to what was in front of you and said, God, I'm going to make something good by your power. Yeah, I'm going to need you. I can't do it myself, but I'm going to be used as a tool. I'm going to do what I know I need to do to do the right thing to make it good. There'll come a time where God's going to recognize and reward those sacrifices that we offered up. Now, sometimes when you make something good, one of the great reasons for it is, isn't it wonderful when you've had an adversarial relationship with someone and God finds a way when two Christians humble themselves to make it good? It's an amazing thing. Several years ago, um, I'll tell you a story. This, that's a little true story. True story, right, Jenny? True story. Jenny and I, as I mentioned earlier, we went up and saw our daughter up in Knoxville, but we made, on our way up there, made little detours we like to do through Murfreesboro, Tennessee because Murfreesboro is uh, our faith town where God took us through a really deep, hard trial, and we like, we like going back there, and I like going back there. It brings back a lot of pain, honestly, but it also brings back the greatness of God and um, the reality that God can accomplish anything in your life that He chooses to accomplish. Never underestimate what God can do. I know you're weak. I know you're broken. All the better. It's not about us. So we were there in Murfreesboro, and we were driving around, and we were on Rutherford Road, and um, I'm not going to use this guy's real name. I guess I'm going to call him some, you know, regular name like Bill or Mike. <laughs> we have Bill and Mike here. That's, a, you know. Um, should we, uh, Bill or Mike, what, what name do you guys, you know? Do you, do you want Bill or do you want Mike. This is crowd involvement, and you're not doing very well. Bill. All right, Bill. I heard Bill first. All right, so Bill, we're driving by Rutherford Avenue, and I look over there, and I see this cell tower, and I told Jenny, I said, well, there's Bill's cell tower. We both looked at each other and just kind of chuckled a little bit. You see, when Jenny and I moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, having left our first pastorate, God took us to a time where we didn't have any income, and we lost, God didn't lose it. God asked for every dime we had, my 401K. We didn't, have, we didn't have nothing. We lived totally by faith for about six months. Zero income. We still had a house payment in Florida. Our house was not selling in Florida. We, it, 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 it was something. And we started attending this small church, which I'm so thankful for small churches. By the way, we are not a small church. Y'all got to stop. We are not a small church. <laughs> Trust me. We started attending this small church and um, we had a problem because we went to license our cars in Tennessee and in Tennessee they check emissions. Well we had given, sold all our good cars and I got given cars that were <laughs> old clunkers really um, but we loved them uh, and both of them failed emissions test and my plates were going to expire and I didn't have money for them to buy the plates anyway but couldn't pass. So I, I said, I, you know what I did? I called the pastor of that small church. And he goes, oh, we got this guy in the church. His name is Bill. I'm going to call up Bill. He'll call you in about 10 minutes. Sure enough, Bill calls us and short story, we take cars over to Bill. Bill worked for the Tennessee Valley Association. The guy was a, he was a Mike Jones wannabe. Um, maybe he was Mike Jones 1.0. Maybe he was better than Mike Jones. I don't know. Um, we go there. We go to his little shop. He had a little shop, and you know, behind his house, a little barn, you know, thing, and we get there. And he was a fantastic mechanic. And we left our cars there, and and he gave us a ride home. And he says, "Hey, I'll call you later. These cars will be ready. I'll get them." And he fixed the cars, got them through the emissions, got our certificates so we could get plates. Right? This guy, and that's the kind of guy he was. Couldn't preach a sermon. But what he could do is work with his hands, and he was willing to do it, and he was a great blessing to us. Well, we became pretty good friends, and I had an old car, so we were over there. <laughs> I was over at his house, frequently enough, but we just became good buddies, and I like hanging around mechanic stuff and pretending to be a, a side mechanic. And we were over there, and um, I could tell he was really weighed down about something. I said, what happened? He goes, well, you don't know about this, because this happened a little before you got here. He said, but you know how I help people? I said, yeah. He said, we had a needy family come into the church And they needed help. Their car was broke down, and I said I'll help them. So they came over and they brought their car and they didn't way home. And he goes, so I told them they could drive. They needed to go to places. So he says, so I gave them the keys to my car, to my Cadillac. I already said I don't like where this story's going. (laughs) And he goes, so they were driving around Murfreesboro with my Cadillac and they ran a red light, smashed into somebody, trashed, uh, totaled my car, totaled the car they hit. And he said, and of course they had no insurance themselves. So guess who the other people are suing? Him. He had a little farm with 10 acres just outside of Murfreesboro and the other side was trying to take his house, his land, and every, his 401k, you know, he'd been working all these years for the Tennessee Valley Association and he said, Pastor Ken, he said here I am doing good, helping people and I'm asking, you know, God where are you? I said, you know, Bill, that's a fair question. I said we're going to pray about this together, and you know, and for next several months, he was in and out of court, had to hire attorneys, went to the whole court thing, and at the end of it all, probably the best decision for him that could is that the court decided that they would give the, the plaintiffs up to the limits of his insurance, but no more. So it didn't touch any of his personal belongings. So it was a big, it was a big victory. Came home that day and goes, oh, you know, it was, you know. But still, well fast forward about a month later, I go back over there and Bill says to me, he has a southern accent, of course. He's Brother Ken, you ain't gonna believe what God did. I said, So what? That's pretty good impersonation, wasn't it? He's probably watching. Bill, that's pretty good. Um, He goes, I get this knock at my door. I said, Yeah. He goes, There's this guy and he's from this some big corporation and they put up cell towers. And he said, turns out my property, the 10 acres I have, is in a perfect location where they want to put a cell tower. He said, Pastor Ken, they're going to pay me hundreds of thousands of dollars to put up a cell tower. I said, pretty good, isn't it? I remember looking at him and saying, you know, if you just stopped helping people when it went bad, when you did good, you think that knocks at your door? I don't know, but I doubt it do good. Find somebody this week and do good. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Thank you for um, uh, how good you've been to us. God, help us to be reminded of uh, what you've done for us and help us to live that out in our lives. Lord, I pray if there's one here today who doesn't know they've never made peace with you, my dear friend, I pray you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today. The Bible's very simple. He just says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you believe in him this morning? But dear Christian, be nice. Is there some area of your life uh, where you've got a lot of conflict, where you know what the Lord's been telling you to do? Maybe it's time to choose to offer the sacrifice of doing good. Do good. Holy Spirit of God, help our church to be kind to one another. God, sometimes in our spiritual family, it's difficult. We irritate one another. We neglect one another. But God, help us to love one another and just be nice. Thank you again for your forgiveness and that your mercy is new every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We're going to sing a verse invitation.